0: Hello, and welcome to The Eater Upsell, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I am one of your two hosts, Helen Rosner. My co-host, Greg Morabito, is silently sitting over there in the corner giving me a significant look. On today's episode
1: of The Eater Upsell, hi, Greg, I hear you laughing in the background. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, no, that was, I- I'm here, I'm here, I'm, I- I'm, I'm excited, I'm excited. I'm for psyched. Today's
0: on today's program. episode, because it is the peaks, or depending on how you feel about the season, the depths of summer, we are talking with probably the world's greatest lobster roll expert. Amy Traverso is the senior food editor of Yankee Magazine, which is the New England culture and food magazine. And she's basically, literally, it is her job to tell the world where the best lobster rolls in New England are, which means the best lobster rolls in the world. She's also the host of Weekends with Yankee, a show that you may have seen on PBS, where she and some other folks travel around New England, showing you all sorts of cool stuff that you can eat and do and see and be in the beautiful dream that is Massachusetts and Vermont and New Hampshire and all those pretty coastal states. So before we get to Amy Churuso, Greg, I understand you have something you want to talk about.
1: Somewhere on the internet, I can't actually off the top of my head remember which publication was talking about how great Nashville-style hot chicken was and basically saying it's the best kind of fried chicken. I'm going to
0: guess literally every publication that the answer here is actually every even like non-food publications have, everyone has written a story at some point, I think legally mandated in the last 12 months to write a story saying that Nashville hot chicken is the greatest thing in the world.
1: Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's been, it's been written about, it's been talked about. And when I read that, I thought, you know, what actually is the best fried chicken is like Not the kind that you get maybe served to you at a restaurant when it's hot. But, like, I love, like, cold fried chicken out of the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, you know, it's even better than that. I actually have had Nashville-style hot chicken cold out of the refrigerator. And that is a, a flavor sensation and a textural delight. But I was thinking how unusual it is that that is, like, a food where, in my mind, I'm hardwired to believe... That the best version of it is, like, the fridge version and not the plate restaurant version. Yeah.
0: I I mean, it shares the honor, I think, with with a certain type of pizza. Yes. You know, there's, like, the the fridge slice has something really beautiful to it. And the fridge fried chicken. It's true, though. I think, like, cold chicken has a flavor. Like, whether it's fried or not, it it has a—I mean, cold— Anything tastes different than hot anything, but there's something so perfect and picnicy and summery and.
1: Do you have any dishes or foods in your world where you like them at the opposite temperature that they're supposed to be served?
0: I don't—I mean, obviously, fried chicken and pizza, as we've discussed. I'm trying to think of what else. I actually—I really like cold macaroni and cheese. Mm. Oh, yeah. I think, like, they're—and all of these sort of have the same thing in common, which is that, like, the fat has congealed.
1: I mean, when I say it that way, it, yeah, it sounds incredibly it's, disgusting. It's, it's not slippery and, um, like, it's not loose and alive, right. you know. It's kind of more like a terrine Exactly, or exactly. You know?
0: And I think, like, you know, cold pasta in general, if it's been in kind of a creamy sauce and, like, the cream all kind of solidifies, like, there's something amazing about, like, forking into a refrigerator Tupperware of, like, Penne in a cream sauce, and having it just kind of be like scooping out a piece of cake instead of pieces of pasta. Right. This is very stoned of
1: me. I mean, you know,
0: I feel like yeah, yeah. No,
1: I'm I'm following you all all the way. It's kind of like it's kind of like um, if if you're dipping your hands into cold fresh clay or something. It's like thick and heavy. Yeah, it's just it's
0: totally a texture thing. So for you, it's fried chicken, though. I mean.
1: Yeah, it's fried chicken and also this might be disgusting. I don't know. I find it delicious. But like if you save half of like a mission style burrito, one of those giant things that has many layers, mm-hmm. and then I, then I feel like and you let it sit, it, it really does become more like a, yeah, like like a terrine. That's the thing that I immediately go well, to. Well, what you're you know? doing
0: there is, I mean, that's a classic move. That's the whole like pan pan ya or like a muffaletta, these ideas of like taking a sandwich and filling it with a lot of stuff and wrapping it up super tightly and letting it sit for like hours, if not days, so everything can become a cohesive whole. I mean, Greg, your refrigerated burrito is just part of a grand tradition of great sandwiches.
1: I, uh, I'm i so happy to hear that. I like to think that everything in my fridge is in some way a, a, a connected to a great culinary tradition and that I am the keeper of, of that flame. And I will take full credit for that. I think you should. In any way that I you can. You be happy with who you yeah. are and everything you've accomplished. Well, I'll say that if any of our listeners out there have any strong feelings about foods that should be served the opposite temperature that they're usually served, you can let us know what we're missing out on. I'm particularly
0: on. interested. Sorry, I cut you off. Finish your drop us a line.
1: No, no. <laughs> you, you can drop us a line at upsell at because I, I want to know. I, I bet you probably want to I especially well, right? want to know
0: if there are foods that are traditionally eaten cold that people like to eat hot. 'Cause like obviously oh, yeah. we're talking about the glories of refrigerating foods that are usually served warm, but like and I'm not I, I'm gonna just like preemptively caveat out melted ice cream. Like that can't be your answer. But there's got to be some thing that is normal. Like, I want someone who likes hot orange juice. If you like hot orange juice, Ooh. please email you're us. A you're a psychopath. First, you're a psychopath. Second, please email us at upsell.eater.com because we need to know more about everything about you.
1: You know, on that note, I remember Eater New York critic Robert Sitzema, who grew up in uh, Texas, told me that when he was in high school, they used to drink styrofoam cups at football games full of hot Dr. Pepper. Wow. Wow, I which yeah. I, I can't even imagine what that what that feeling was. I be should like. clarify here that Robert Sietzma is very old. Right. I say
0: that in a loving and respectful way, but that was that was I don't know. Yeah, dude, I, we want to, all of this. I feel like like the hot cold beverage is definitely its own category. Do you like pour hot milk into your breakfast cereal? Do you warm up your salads? I don't know what kind of psychosis do you have. Let us know at UpsellEater dot com. And uh, Greg, let's talk with Amy Traverso. Amy Traverso is the senior food editor of Yankee magazine and one of the hosts of a PBS show called Weekends with Yankee. Both of these, if you couldn't guess by the title, are about not Not about the baseball team. They're about winning the Civil War. (laughs) (laughs) About New England. Yes. Right. Yes.
2: And the name Yankee, we, you know, Yankee, uh, the magazine's been around for more than eighty years, and so um, we have uh, we have sort of a vintage name, which um, actually now I think has sort of come back around, and um, I think we're kind of embracing the new Yankee. You know,
0: what does that mean? The new yeah, the new
2: Yankee. Yankee. Um, it's cool. I think I think in general, and I I think this is true with food, and I'd love to talk about it a little bit. It, I think they you know as as every other region of america is embracing its unique identity its unique food identity i think new england's doing that and i think for a long time it was kind of enough to call yourself a lo- local you know locally oriented restaurant if you were getting your tomatoes from you know the next town over and what i what i see glimmers of now and what i really hope to see more of is some pride in not just local ingredients but you know Um, traditional recipes, local flavor. Um, I think New England food has Often gotten a really bad rap as being bland and being um, and I mean I think there there are reasons that you know I think they're it's got English right? right yeah <laughs> there there are good reasons why the food was somewhat plain but it doesn't mean there's <laughs> nothing there to rediscover I'm not talking about doing you know baked scrod I'm talking about sort of what are interesting things we can do with cornmeal and molasses and what are you know interesting things we can do with seafood that is um, not necessarily all cod but uh, sustainable seafood and and what are you know, And to be inspired by old cookbooks, but to take them somewhere new and interesting.
0: Not long ago, our um, national restaurant editor, Bill Addison, published his list of the 38 essential restaurants in New England, to which you were a contributor. Yes. And it was, uh, as an exercise, really illuminating, I think, to see more than just lobster rolls and fried haddock and the usual tropes. Oh, my tropes. God, yeah.
1: As, so, as someone who like doesn't know i mean i know very 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 little about new england i think i've only been to massachusetts yeah. a few times but that guide was and you you, you contributed to that guide as I well did. helen That's true. it really painted uh it really painted this this picture of like okay i want to go and spend a month just driving around and eating at all these like seems like a lot of emphasis on small small yes. places too and kind of you know Um, Yeah, it just was like – that was just a really fun list as someone who didn't know anything. I mean, I know that's like an eater post, but – Everything we do is awesome. Read our (laughs) website. (laughs) Well, it just kind of got like the wheels turning in my brain as like, okay, well, it seems like there's this great mix of innovation and also, you know, as you were talking about the kind of new Yankee thing. And then also these like real old institution mom and pop kind of places dotted around everywhere. Yeah, I I write a column for the magazine called Local
2: Flavor, which – uh, and I try to just seek out those those mom-and-pop places that <laughs> haven't yet totally been— The uh, some of them hopefully haven't all been on diners, drives, and—diner's dives and drives. Yeah, I, diners,
0: drive-ins, di- and— yeah. D, that
2: one. I'm not trying to ape him completely, but he does—they do go to some good places. Um, so going to these places that are so much of the place that by— eating at this restaurant you're actually getting a window into a community and I love that Yankees of magazine that lets me do that because these are not the hot sexy new restaurants these are you know the ones that have stood the test of time and um, are often small and and I and I think that I think in New England we like small I think we are a little suspicious of anything that's too shiny you know um, but at the same time I think in in Boston we we want to we want to see, I think I think there's a sense that we have some catching up to do. And I think it's happening really quickly right now to the point where I'm having a hard time keeping up with, with stuff that's opening. Um, but there's I think a good example is a restaurant in Cambridge called Waypoint. Michael Skelfo is the chef. And um you know, in New England to op- or in Boston, New England to open a seafood restaurant, you n- would think you always had to hit certain marks. You've got to have the lobster or the chowder. He calls his restaurant coastally inspired, and he is just doing whatever the hell he wants to do with seafood Um, and, you know, octopus meatballs. And and it's nothing—there are no references to traditional New England cooking, and I kind of—I love that. I love that there's room for
0: all of it. So speaking of lobster rolls, one of your contributions to our list of the 38 essential restaurants in New England was— I think our only lobster roll place, McLoon's.
2: Yeah, I would say our only traditional, because there's Even Tide Oyster, which was which also on the also list has in Portland. And they, but they do their own. It's sort of an uh I think a Chinese-inspired steam bun with a brown butter uh sauce that they make by adding but powdered milk to like the But McLoon's
0: is like when you think of an iconic oh Maine lobster shack. So how do you do this? I mean, obviously you drove up up the coast yeah. in an R V like Lobster rolls, I think like burgers and pizza and sushi and barbecue are a fetish object for a yes. lot of people. How how does one rise above the others? So for I,
2: I um, wanted to have accountability for this because I knew I was going to be tasting a lot of lobster rolls over several days, over a week, and I needed a way to um, compare them fairly. So I created a list of Variables um, on which they would be judged: uh, criteria, um, sweetness, the quality of the meat, the texture of the meat, the um, ratio of the ingredients, the the innards to the bun. The um, the the atmosphere was a factor because I think if you sure. if you you want you want a, you want a pretty view, but it wasn't the only one. Um, uh, the um, oh god, the oh the oh the additions like. Do they add lettuce, which is, in in my view, an abomination. I really think there are plenty of things you can add to a lobster roll to make it better. You can add celery. You can add chives if you want to. If If you don't want pure lobster flavor, you can add lots of delicious aromatics. Lettuce has a bitter vegetal quality that, in my mind, does not pair well with lobster. And furthermore, yeah, I feel like uh, lettuce was the the villain of the great lobster. It was. It was. It was. And, and, lo- it. and I'm now. sure there are people who disagree with me who love it. They love the crunch. But I would say, if you want crunch, put celery in there, which is sweeter and pairs much better with sweet lobster meat, and doesn't have all that bitterness. Um, also, lettuce in the presence of mayonnaise goes. Soggy and slimy, as opposed to, say, celery. So that 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 was I had, and I was very, I'm very upfront about that. That's so f- my bias. Buck lettuce. Okay, so then, and and I also think a lobster roll. It's the beauty of it is is the marriage of these simple things of of whether it's hot butter or whether it's mayonnaise, some sort of fatty, unctuous, delicious thing sauce, and then, um, and then in a, a bun, which has got to be split top and naked on both sides, not some. Bun, because you want it to be griddled and absorb the butter and get crispy on the sides. For any of our listeners who are unfamiliar yes, with okay, split, split top, top bun, <laughs> can we? Yeah, sp- yeah, so so split top bun is sort of bready on the sides as opposed to crusty on the sides. So the, they're baked together in a, like a, in a row, like bun. a hot dog bun, so that they don't form crust on the sides, just on the top and bottom. And then you split them apart. And you split open the middle, and that's how you eat. Them.
0: But unlike a hot dog bun, which is sliced uh, latitudinally, right, a split top bun is just vertically uh, right vertically, down yes. the top. Yes, and people are extremely passionate about this as the correct way to it slice is. this. It is, and
2: I hate to, you know I hate to be in the business of saying correct or not, you know, incorrect. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't like that aspect of food writing, um, or just foodism, um but but. As you argued in your post about steak, I do think there is a way that is is really objectively better, and and when you can get a crisp, wonderful bun that because it's not crusty on the sides and soft and it's bready and it can it can not only absorb the butter but get get that golden crust it's just better so the lobster roll should be a size that fits in your mouth where, where it's a marriage of everything it's the it's the lobster it's the bun it's the butter it's whatever sauce you want and it's all in one bite so when you get a lobster roll that's kind of like the 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 like bread chili bowl of lobster rolls where you know you have to like eat the lobster bread out is like so it's you like can't it up and open. Bite it's like, it. it's like a sand, it's like a salad that you ha- has it's bread as the it's lobster salad base. on a bread plate yes yeah. yes that's right. not my. You
1: don't want a hoagie game. or no. something. No,
2: yeah, I, I think I because and, and I also think just it's a nice portion. It's just the right amount. I mean, if you if you're really hungry, get two. But get it so that you you can enjoy all of it together. It's a it's a perfect dish. It's so simple. It's so beautiful and so, in its simplicity. And so yeah, those were my biases. So I kind of kept track. I you know wrote down. I gave everything a numerical score and kept going. And then at the end, I kind of looked at it all and.
0: And McLoon's was the winner.
2: McLoon's was the winner. It really is a really special place. I mean, I was there last week. I watched them uh, during a very busy dinner rush around the Fourth of July, um, hauling. They had the lobster in. They had, they had a bunch of lobster they'd caught earlier. Um, it's a family business that both that both catches the lobster and serves the lobster. And so, you know, they had the lobsters in these holding a cart holding uh, bins, and they were hauling them out of the water. Taking and putting them in a pan, bringing them into the kitchen. I mean, it was, it was great. It it's was a talk dance. about like the distance from the you know source to the to the kitchen <laughs> was probably thirty feet.
1: That's pretty magical. How was the uh, f- how was the feedback like for the? the great lobster roll adventure? Because I'm sure that this is something that your readers have very strong opinions on. Did people argue with you at all about, you know, McLean? You know, or, uh, some a lot there's know?
2: definitely, I can't believe you didn't go to blah. Um, and, you know, and there was also some, fa- uh, somebody pointed out on Twitter that how can you say it's the best lobster roll in New England when you've only gone to Maine, to which I would say, I eat a lot of lobster rolls everywhere I go. And- I have not had one that surpasses the better lapsed rules I've had in Maine. Um I think First of all, Maine lobster tends to be the best lobster, and that's even more true as lobsters are heading north as the water is warming. Mean, the they lobster like cold water. And, yeah, they like cold water. The lobster industry in Long Island Sound is is, is having hard times. So the lobsters are moving north. <laughs> the best ones are in the colder water. Um, and, you know, there's just a tradition. Um, I, I do like Connecticut. So, so there's a regional thing with lobster rolls. In Connecticut, the style is hot buttered. Um, the lobster is reheated and doused with with melted butter. In Maine, it's generally cold um, and tossed with mayo. Um, The thing I like about McLuhan's, actually, is rather than tossing the meat with mayo... Which the mayo then can, if it sits too long, it'll denature the meat and make it squishy and make it taste like mayo more than anything else. Um, they use it as a condiment, which is what it is, oh. and they put it on the inside of the bun. Whoa. So you still get mayo with every bite, but it's not; it's all separate. I love that. And That's I wasn't a magical kid who innovation. like it's a great; it's like so smart. And I wasn't that kid who like whose food couldn't touch. I, I don't mind my food touching, but to keep everything distinct makes the lobster roll so much better. This is fascinating.
1: Yeah, well, the one that I wanted to eat was there was one that had butter on yeah, one half. Yeah, that's McLoons. And mayo. So they let on the you other. do halves. That's McLoons. That's yeah. McLoons. Yes. It's so. Yes.
2: It's so. That's it, yeah. it's. And that not everybody does that. I really appreciate that about McLoons. Um, yeah. So I, it was funny because I, I was there. Um, I think people are going to McLoons and I think they're liking it. We, I was there as I said last week and sat down next to a couple at a bench and they said, "Are you here because of the Yankee Magazine article too?" <laughs>
0: I mean, I guess yeah. was yes, a nice moment. Right? Yeah, I answers, was your team. Yes. Yeah, that's why I'm here. So, so
2: did you tell them that you y- wrote? My it? My friend did. Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, because uh, <laughs> he he he's, he did it for me.
0: <laughs> so what? Is, I think you know, if I were if I were sort of like behind a sort of Rawlsian veil of ignorance, and I were told. You have to decide what person on this earth is the best qualified person to assess lobster rolls. I would say, well, Yankee Magazine is, you know, the Mm -hmm. magazine of record in the region where lobster rolls are the most important. And Amy Traverso is the food authority of the publication that is the authority on this region. So clearly it's you. What does it feel like to be the authority on lobster rolls? I do you walk around being like, I am the king? Like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think, no, I certainly don't. And I tend, uh, my, the, I, I, my thing is about being of service. Like that's where I feel comfortable. If I feel that I'm working hard to be of service to readers, maybe it sounds goofy, but then I can get into the role. But if I'm approaching it from this angle of, um, some, some kind of Silly grandiosity! Uh, I'm the king of this small fiefdom, or the, um, then then I just feel ridiculous, and I, it's not fun. But um, if I feel like, hey, I'm I'm really trying very hard to, uh, you know, to to apply my best thinking to evaluating this food, deconstructing it, what makes it good, what's ma- what makes it special, and who's really doing it well then i feel good about it and i and i i just want people to go to maine or go to boston and just have a great experience i want to i want to help them out that that's what feels good for me
0: so yankee is interesting to me because it's a regional magazine it's a small region but as we've discussed it's a diverse small region you have a complex task which is speaking to all of the people who live in this very complex region And giving them something that is both a reflection of themselves, but also illuminating parts of their region or their neighborhoods that they might not previously have known about. How do you balance that? Do you expect that, like, your readers in Vermont are going to travel to Connecticut? Like, is this a travel thing? Is it a your own backyard kind of thing? That
2: we try to—we definitely keep track of which states we've been writing about, what the balance is. Do I need to get back to Connecticut? Do I need to get back to Vermont? We pay close attention and we actually track that in our story lineups. Um, and so when I'm planning anything, it's always, you know, am I getting the six states? Am I getting – so that everybody feels if they don't want to travel, there's something over the course of the year in their – that's in their backyard or that they might want to travel to. Um, and 45 percent of our readers live outside of New England. So there's also, uh, I think, a, our a responsibility to give them – and this is something we try to balance. Um, the, there's the New England of the imagination and the New England of nostalgia and memory, childhood memory. And I, we know that a lot of readers come to us for that, but it can't be a, a nostalgia play exclusively. I think, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting thing because I think as New Englanders, and I, I certainly learned this when I moved to San Francisco and realized how much of a New Englander I am, I felt really unmoored on the West Coast. I felt like I, um, and I didn't feel this in New Mexico because New Mexico is very very much about its history. And it's a long, long, long history that goes back way before Plymouth. Um, and they really celebrate that. And I love that. Um, but in California, I felt—and uh, I, I wonder what you, what you feel about this. I, I felt just—A, I a I was working for Sunset Magazine, which is like the, you know, regional magazine of the West Coast. So we were always working on a timeline that was, you know, a year out, 18 months out, six months out. I never knew what season it was. Um, and also it's all about reinvention. The identity is so much about is innovation and, and reinvention and, and self-creation. And I didn't realize how much I, I needed that feeling of anchoring and grounding. So in New England, I think we so much so we so, so on the one hand, there's nostalgia, but there's also a really deep appreciation and need to feel connected to history. Do you feel that do you feel sort of in California? To, I, how does that work for you?
1: No, I, I know I know exactly I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I actually was I am a native Californian. I lived here in the Bay Area for, you know, until I moved to New York in my 20s and um spent a lot of time there and then just recently moved back. But yeah, I think that whatever you're you're um hinting at about like New England and that sort of sense of something to relate back to, I think that maybe the West Coast sees that as like innovation is that for them or the yes. next thing, you know. Constant reinvention and constantly being like it's like the spirit like that is their touch. Their sort of historical touchstone is always kind of changing things up and, and, kind of doing what inspires them, I feel like, you know? I know that's a very- No, 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 and it it, it
2: may be actually more zen and more kind of in line with what life really is, which is constant change. And maybe if your touchstone is constant change, that's actually healthier and sort of more
1: grounded in reality. But I I know like, you know, like living um, at least in the Northeast, you know, in New York, I mean, it's so awesome to walk into a place like Katz's or- you know, even to go to like um I don't know, just places around New England, New York, and 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 just feel like oh, like Frank Pepe's yeah. in, in New Haven, being like this place has been around forever, and you just don't really have that kind of those kind of deep institutions as much um on the West Coast, I find. So, you know, it's great to go to those those places and be like this started something and it's still going, and you can eat and and exist in the history of yeah, it. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. I just went by actually on, in the cab on the way here. The, the tavern, uh, kind of like Francis Tavern. On, yes,
0: I kind of got teary. It's one of one of, if not the oldest restaurants in yeah. New York, right? Yeah, George Washington ate there. I,
2: I, like, and part of it's like being a Hamilton nerd, but also, I mean, I, <laughs> I actually, I, had, I sort of, yeah, I had a moment. I had a moment.
0: You it. know I, So the Eater Upsell Studio used to be located in our office in beautiful Midtown Manhattan, right in the heart of Times Square and all of that implies. And a couple of months ago, for those listeners who are not stalking our every move, we moved down to the financial district. And um, I think, Greg, you were already in California by the time we made this move. Yeah, I ha-
1: I've never seen the, I've never oh, seen the, midtown, the, uh, the financial district It's like a
0: weird office. spaceship. It's really That's cool. Impressive. But a
3: thing right that I here, always yeah. forget
0: about living in New York, and I've lived here for almost 15 years now, is that this is an old city. And yeah. the financial district reminds you of that. You walk around here and there's Trinity Church, which is hundreds of years old. There's Francis Tavern. The streets are weird and cobbly and it reminds you of Boston. Yes. And the whole rest of the New York City apparatus, right, the rest of Manhattan and Brooklyn and Staten Island and the Bronx and Queens, all in various ways conspire to make you forget that New York was part of The revolutionary, pre revolutionary history of colonial America.
2: Yes, absolutely. And I think, I think you know, Massachusetts and Plymouth. I mean, we, 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 we hug a lot of the oxygen on that. Like, I think we're so proud of our, you know, Thanksgiving happened here and, and it is really lovely, but, and it's special, <laughs> but um, it's good, it's good to remember it didn't just happen here. In fact, a lot of very important stuff did not happen here, but we do have wonderful so, sites and we have wonderful things to connect to.
1: On that note, earlier you were saying that a lot of chefs uh, in New England are now looking at like old recipes and those old, you know, going back and, and finding these things. Is there one text? Is there one book that everyone's pointing to? Um,
2: Yeah. And I I would say even I probably overstated it because I think a a lot is I think there are plenty of chefs who are still, you know, who are getting inspiration from their travels to Japan and Spain and France and Italy and um, Peru. And so I don't want to overstate it. But honestly, I think there was a shame factor. Um, in in referencing traditional New England cooking, and I think that's going away, which I'm happy about. Um, in terms of canonical texts, um, certainly Fannie Farmer. Um, I think um, sir, there's a new restaurant in Salem, which I think uh, is it's called Ledger, and um, I the chef there is. Um, is looking at a lot of sort of 19th century cookbooks, um, but I, I and I think then Loyal Nine, which was in the Eater 38, um, they are kind of about late 18th century uh, texts. Um, mm-hmm. Amelia Simmons wrote the first cookbook. Uh, it was published in Hartford, Connecticut, um, and uh, she lists herself as an orphan in her author. It says um, by Amelia Simmons, an American. Orphan. That's how she identified herself. Wow. Yeah. Thinking there's not a lot known about her. That she may have been um, a domestic worker. She may have been a a cook uh, for a family, and she kind of jotted down everything she knew. Um, There's some, you know, interesting stuff in there. It's very, very British. Very. um, But but and then also you can go to places like Plymouth Plantation where. There are historians on staff whose job is to to research the the foodways of the first Europeans uh, who settled that area and how they adapted, how they took their British recipes, which all used flour, and all they had was ground corn and how they adapted that. And um, it's fun to even go—I like to go and kind of grill them, grill the historical interpreters, the costumed interpreters whose job it is to stay in character (laughs) about— God, doesn't it really suck to not have flour? <laughs> <laughs> and they'll say in sort of 17th century English
1: that they really miss, you know, good bread and it's really hard to live without it. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. You just gave us a great idea for who we should have on as a guest. Oh, oh absolutely. They would be so
2: good and they would re- they would, they're would really—they so good at singing character no matter what you throw at them. They're really, and they're, lo- they're, they're awesome. They're really good at what they do. So, yeah.
0: So, so much of of Southern food Is, um, or contemporary Southern food in the way that it sort of is moving forward as a historical minded culinary entity involves chefs and cooks grappling with the region's past with slavery and that sort of trying to use food and cooking as a way of reckoning with that kind of history. New England cooking. Do you see similar reckonings with things like Native American cuisine or traditions like that that may have been?
2: No, not nearly at the level that you see in, say, the Southwest. In the Southwest, I love, um, I love that there are Native chefs who are bringing, who who take their ingredients, um, their cultural their cultures ingredients or their childhood favorite foods, and then get. And infuse and it with uh, classical training, and come up with something really wonderful. I mean, the only place I know of where uh, where I've had native food, and it's it's is is at Plymouth Plantation. There's um, the Wampanoag Village, uh, where there are interpreters who are cooking in the traditional uh, manner, and uh, will tell all about. How, how they cook and what the dishes are. And you can eat sort of a modified version of them in the cafeteria. Um, I'm not sure what's going on down sort of in the casinos in <laughs> Connecticut and um, uh, the Mashantaka mm-hmm. Pequot Museum. And um, I'm not sure what kind of food traditions they have there, so I can't speak to that. But um, I think, you know, there needs there, – it is time to really understand so much more about um, Native – contributions to new england food because without it, it the colony never would have survived obviously and everything all the corn that they were adapting the cornmeal that the first europeans were using to to, to and adapting um, into johnny cakes and uh, hasty pudding and all those things were made with cornmeal which they called a the dean meal because they showed them how to eat, how to how to grind corn um, and how to raise it, and how to um, use the ingredients that were available to them there. So uh, there is no—I re- don't think there is a reckoning yet, and I think I think it's long past time for that.
0: So let's talk about the TV show. Yes. What are you doing on weekends with Yankees? Yeah. So um, the show is—is uh, is, you know
2: we, we, New England's so beautiful. It's such a, the. We wanted a visual medium to convey that beauty. And we've uh, found a partnership with WGBH, which was the perfect partnership for us, um, to do 13 episodes where we take you to um, up to the top of Mount Washington and out on a scalloping boat off Martha's Vineyard um, and and sort of places that people don't uh, n- typically maybe have access to, places that are familiar but, but maybe— we get the behind the scenes tour of the Newport mansions and not just the Newport mansions are beautiful. <laughs> um, and, uh, right. You go over we, the yes, road, over the road, right. <laughs> and we, how is, how is the cheese made for Vermont Creamery cheese, which is so wonderful. Um, what are places you can go to, to pick apples that date back to the 1600s? Um, so we, 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 covered all the states we're about to go into actually filming our second season um and i'm learning a whole bunch of new stuff because i started i mean i i started a career sitting behind a computer and now i've got a i'm doing
0: in front of a camera stuff so how is it different to tell a story in front of a camera than it is in front of a computer
2: it is um on the one hand it's such a relief to go and have this really wonderful adventure like you do when you're writing a story but instead of going home and tearing your hair out and turning it into words you just move on to the next adventure there's something so liberating about that.
0: (laughs) That's why we like this podcast Yes! (laughs) You're
2: done You're You're like, what did I say? It's in in, in the (laughs) can (laughs) Hopefully they'll make something good with it Um, and I mean there's, there's all sorts of there's all sorts. So, so, um, I, I liked, I like to, uh, show up at a place and meet someone interesting who's doing interesting things and just get to ask them a lot of questions. Um, and I hope that works on camera. I'm still, I'm learning a lot about what works on camera. Um, and, uh, we have a great team that has taught me a lot. Um, are, you know, I'm, I'm working with a Professional TV host who has taught me so much, Richard Weiss. Um, so he, so you know, it, it, I, it's it's been an education, but it's it's a really great adventure, and um, we're finding that we're finding that the New England thing, the New England uh, brand, or the the lure of New England, is really national because uh, stations all over the country have picked it up to our delight, and um, public public television stations, uh, and. You know, we wanted to just be a very curated um, take on the best place, the most beautiful places, really special places, the things that make New England a unique region. And I do all the food yeah, stuff. Yeah, it, it
1: looks it looks sort of evocatively distinct, I think, on TV. You know, from the clips that I've seen of the show, and you guys seem to have a real easy rapport. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, we do. He, it's
2: it's, it's it, yeah, he, it's fun. We, I mean, it's it's. Um, it's a good group. I think it's very relaxed. I have—I definitely—you know, it, it's a funny thing to start doing television in your 40s. I mean, it doesn't feel entirely natural. <laughs> but I also remember that's when—not not to make too broad a, or great a comparison, but Julia Child started you know, doing TV go, in her 40s. There. yeah. so women can that's do right. that, mm-hmm. and it's okay. And uh, Hell yeah. Yeah. So um, I—it's—there's it's, there, that noise, but I— I don't—it's public television. I mean, everybody—we get to be real people on public television, I think, in a way that maybe we don't get to be elsewhere.
0: When Vivian Howard was on our show last season, she was telling us how much she loves working with public television, but also that it turned out there were all sorts of weird restrictions on the way they could promo the show, like because of some of the the federal limitations on how public television is funded, if they were going to create— a promo for her show, The Chef and the Farmer, um, they basically couldn't show people having fun. Like, it had to be descriptive. It could not really? be selling the the TV show. It couldn't be like, this is great. You will love it. It had to just be like, this is the show. This is what the show is. We are robots. Like, there were these amazingly so weird limitations.
2: I'm about to do my first take on that with Vermont Public Television. We're going to tape some—, some promos. Let's find out. Yeah, I'm going to find out what what I'm allowed to say, I guess. (laughs) That's very interesting because I think in many ways there are, you know, far fewer restrictions on um, how you are to be or present yourself on public television. Um, I think there's a, you know, uh, and it, it suits me as a New Englander that there's a certain, we're supposed to be a little
0: bit more real. You don't have, like, a full hair and makeup crew?
2: No. I mean, I did learn—I had to learn how to put on makeup for the show. Um, not to look really made up, but just to kind of—
0: Cameras wash you out. They, yeah. It's totally yeah, to real. like, have
2: some defined facial features, and that was an adventure. I mean, I feel like I— I, I never was really into that stuff, so learning how to kind of be a girl, quote-unquote, um, now is funny, um, but it's not its not over the top. It's I mean, your- I'm not looking like a real housewife or anything.
1: So we're just going to take a quick pause from Amy Traverso because we have an ad. Our sponsor today is ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Maybe you should consider ZipRecruiter. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click, Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash eat. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash eats. And one more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash eat, like eater. All right, and now back to Amy Traverso. Uh, So Amy, you live in the, um, the Boston area, is that, is that correct? Okay. So Helen and I are fascinated by one thing about Boston specifically in the Boston area, which is the unusual array of bad restaurant names. Like truly uniquely. Let's talk about that. So we, um,
0: on eater.com not too long ago, ran a week long special dedicated to, um, truly awful restaurant names and, uh, the way we did it was sort of bracket style, and so there were four days of category brackets, which each had eight. So we had 32 restaurants that we had determined through highly subjective—basically, how does it make us feel emotionally—are are the worst restaurant names that we could find. And of these 32, what proportion oh, do you gosh. think were in the metro Boston area? A third? More, <gasps> almost a quarter. Seven oh of the thirty-two were either in Boston or like Cambridge. Or
3: wow,
0: yeah, you know. Okay, so I'm just going to say
2: at the outset, I have I have a really big pet peeve with restaurant names, which is when it's named after a food product within a post- with a pos- in the possessive form. So like, like chowders, cheddars, oh yeah, or peppercorns, oh yeah. I
0: hate. <laughs> that. Well, okay. Can we can we read you a list yes, of please. the seven Boston-area terrible restaurant okay. names? And then we're going to make you tell us why this mm-hmm. is happening. Okay. So, I, I, they're so bad. Blunch.
2: Blunch. Okay, they make a really good egg sandwich.
0: I mean, we should be clear. Yes. We are in no oh, way,
2: no, way no, passing judgment not, on no, the no, restaurants I themselves. I never liked the name. <laughs> I will say that. I, in their, I will say go there for the egg sandwich and—, and and, and maybe suggest a name change, but um, yeah, it's like a place near a big hospital. They do breakfast and lunch, it's a lot of doctors going in there. And that was an unfortunate call,
1: I would say.
0: It was, like, we, we already okay, have a anoth- word for that. Another, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, an- another one. This one really tripped me up for some reason as the name of a Boston restaurant. It's called In Boston. I have no idea. That is a restaurant? It's unGoogleable like i would suggest that all of our
0: listeners I, look I this up to find confirm it, it but, but like yes. literally like the prep, like in boston like in boston which is i mean it's an accurate description yeah but is it is it do we know anything about it is it, it it's in boston <laughs> <laughs> how-, how great would it be if it were not like if it were in Cambridge I or like think, Malden yeah. I, and it I was just like a, f- there
2: is like a seafood
0: restaurant in Hong Kong called like the Boston seafood restaurant well, that makes sense because yeah, Boston yeah, seafood yeah, is a ref, thing yeah. but if, if, if the restaurant were like not just li- like if, if it were trolling in us if it was like Boston. in Gloucester or something and it was called in Boston is it because
2: they had sort of a whole <laughs> ad campaign like when in Boston oh. like there was a, there's a bar in Western oh, Massachusetts exactly. in Northampton mm-hmm. uh, where we went to college mm-hmm. and um, it's called the office now that I love because it's like where are you going going to the office yes that's Perfect, right?
0: yeah they're, in Boston doesn't help anybody right. it doesn't create no. a fun punning sentence it's no. like where do you want to have dinner in there's Boston. no the Marital opposite cover of SEO. there
2: there's no no yeah
0: okay, and then there's one that's that's uh, not just in Boston, the prepositional phrase, not the name of restaurant, but it also has a couple of locations in Rhode Island called Pasta Beach, which I think is Greg's favorite. Pasta beaches—that's
1: beach. beautiful. Does anybody like want to eat it pasta me of on the a, beach? A Jimmy Buffett song, oh God, Jimmy Buffett. You know,
0: you know the
2: game—if you could eliminate one, one musician from the record
1: from oh. ever having existed. I don't know uh-huh. this game, but yeah, who
2: is it? Mine would be Jimmy Buffett. You hate him? Oh my God.
1: I I don't like him, but I I I kind of like that he gives people that are just becoming elderly citizens hope. I think something. his songs are very catchy, and
0: thing. I am not a. Bird, parrot head whatever. I'm not a fan. Right. Like I, I but head, like yeah. you know what? Like, you know, Margaritaville's a banger. Like uh, the, that comes on. I'm singing along. Yeah, the and yellow
1: <laughs> the yellow Jimmy Buffett record, just called Jimmy Buffett, has you know, yeah. it's it's got some relatively catchy uh, maybe tunes. If I'm not And in if any he way wrote a song it, called Pasta
0: Beach, I don't know.
2: I, I have to say, I mean, I, I am trying to spend this whole summer looking like I'm ready to get on a boat. Like, I, that's my goal. You're just for, like
0: very nautically. I'm, I'm very, no, it's very nautical. It's a very nautical summer. I,
2: I think it's just it's a subconscious thing. I want to feel like I'm oh, if there was a boat, I could get on it yeah. right now and I would fit right in. So so I'll say that. But I, maybe I'm just not enough of a sailor to really appreciate Jimmy Buffett. So, OK, pause, yeah, Pasta Beach. All I can think of is sand in my sauce. Yeah. Or sand on my pasta. I don't.
1: Sand in my sauce is a better <laughs> name
2: than Pasta Beach. <laughs> Actually, very. That
0: That's like that's the the name
2: of a memoir. That's like (laughs) the name of a memoir of like some some chef who who like hit rock bottom near the beach. Yeah.
0: And then then, so the next three are all fascinating to to me because they are just sort of they belong to a bracket that we called crimes against language, which (laughs) was judged by our managing editor, Sonia Chopra, who's a real grammar stickler. And it was restaurant names that use punctuation and capitalization Mm -hmm. and spelling in Liberal ways, um, so one is all caps with an apostrophe at the end. The word mast, like on a which ship. Which apostrophe? Yeah, at it's M A S T apostrophe, which is like
1: just uh, leave out the it, right. You, you'd be fine with just yeah. yeah. Then we have a place called yeah mast on its own isn't no, so. It no, it's fine. yeah, I get it. It's probably a seafood yeah, restaurant. Sure. The ship, and then there's know? a place where if you say it
0: out loud, it's tapas five two nine, and it makes tons of sense. But they spell tapas T apostrophe A H P-A-S, which is, again, it's a free country.
1: Like some weird phonetic spelling or something. And then my
0: favorite of all of these is um, moo, the sound that a cow makes, but with four O's, not three, and then four periods after not not a three dot ellipsis a four dot like it's a very hesitant yeah no i was
2: food editor at boston (laughs) magazine when that restaurant opened it was like god damn it every time i had to write every time i had to write it because it was like how many how many periods are there i've got to get this right four
0: o's four Um, dots like yeah so what is with boston and oh and i forgot the last one felonious monkfish which i like that it's clever i like that so what is with
2: Boston and and I had a friend who's a musician who wrote a song yeah. called Melodious Funk, which I also thought. Right.
0: was... Right. No, I mean, I it's a name that. Oh yeah. You know, that's but good. like, mm-hmm. what is with Boston and truly I'm awful? I'm so surprised names. that this is not you know that, that that this is I'm you're I'm
2: blown away that this is something that is concentrated in Boston.
0: And our our, Bo- our Boston editor Rachel Blumenthal has is actually the, the person who called our attention to this. She in our in Slack that we use at work. She like keeps all of us up to date on the latest like head scratcher of a Boston restaurant name and we realized it was in fact the inspiration for this entire truly awful restaurant names bracket was we we're just like Boston is approaching critical mass of restaurant names that are so inscrutably nonsensical weird or bad sort of,
2: cuz Boston obviously has many identities and and I'm thinking of the kind of like the the kind of um uh, Marty Scorsese, Ben Affleck, Southie, Charleston, <laughs> chip on your shoulder kind of side of Boston—is it that? Is it like? Is it sort of a? You're the
1: expert. I see it as more of like maybe it's like a sort of summer scarf. Like I'm a I'm a grad student, uh, and I think things are funny. Kind of kind of like playing into that that sort of a character. Wow, you know that is, that is uh, okay. I want to say one one thing about
2: Moo, which is they make the most incredible – these Parker House rolls and they serve them these little stab like cast iron pans and I would just go and eat those. they're so good. they're so buttery and airy and, mm. It's like th- there's like mm. these angels in the back mm. making yeah the name the name I, I can't account for the name but Boston has an imagined rivalry with New York. So New York's like what? and Boston is sort of like New York see we're cool too. And maybe maybe this is part of that like w- we're, we're 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 trying to it's like attention getting maybe. It's, like we're the little the younger
0: sibling that wants look attention. Over here. Yeah. yeah, maybe yeah. it's that. Yeah, it's like yeah. I, that, that seems like a plausible scenario. I like. Maybe. I mean, you yeah. know, it calls attention to it. They're they're not subtle. I'm still my mind reels it in Boston. Well, now I'm going to be. Now it's like I'm going
1: to be
2: paying attention. Yeah. yeah. Well, let
1: us know if you find any particularly yeah. good ones. Yeah. I mean, Great food city with awful with some awful restaurant names. Yes.
2: Yeah. Uh, it, they, they have been I mean we, we are we under, we are undergoing a, this you know, this luxury real estate boom where all these buildings are going up and everyone needs that anchor tenant. And so there's more restaurants and we're in a big bubble right now. And there's so many restaurants opening and it's not, that's true of so many cities, but there is, there is it's, there's this gold rush thing going on right now with restaurants. So it may be that literally like there's all these, there aren't any untrademarked restaurant names left and <laughs> people are just <laughs> scraping the bottom
0: of the barrel. For it's names. like trying to come up with like a wow. screen name back when everyone had to like
1: Got yeah. AOL names and it was like <laughs> yeah they're not they're not restaurant names they're like neo screen. They really names. are. It's that's like that's like my handle
0: say. is like tapas five two nine like that's an aim name from back in the day. I'm
1: Thelonious wow. <laughs> Monkfish. <laughs>
2: right. You know, there's one other Amy Traverso I five, know six. who lives in Canada. And thank God, like I beat her to all of the like to Instagram and and oh. Google Gmail and. Everything Twitter, so I own Amy Traverso. Name twins are a weird thing. Yeah, we've we have we have met we
0: have like reached out to each other on Facebook and. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I get occasional vanity Google alerts for my name because there are people named Helen Rosner who die because it's a very old lady name. Yeah.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Um, And every
0: so often, I get a link to my own obituary, and do you
2: panic for half a second? Like it's a
0: little uh, jarring. It's like, wait, was I dead all along? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally
1: crazy. Yeah, there was another, when I lived in Brooklyn, there's another Greg Morabito that actually two people I knew m- knew this person and said that he was not only my same age, but also kind of looked like me. And one of my friends having to live in his building and intercepted his mail one time, and they reached out and they were like, did you try and send me a letter or something, Greg? And it took me wow. so long to piece together exactly what was happening. If he there.
0: was your age and also kind of looked like you... Are you sure this was not just your cover for a double life?
1: Well, I'll let that mystery remain unsolved.
0: <laughs> in the meantime,
2: of mysteries. This is just a little detail from my trip to Maine to find the lobsters. I'm up in Eastport, Maine, which is as un-Italian a place as you can get. And I, my name ends with a vowel, so I can say that. And. Um, And they had lobster rolls. This place, Quadi Bay Lobster Company, which was ranked number two. It's fantastic. And we're talking about differences of like a tenth of a percent. So really, they're all great. Um, And they had cannoli on the menu for dessert. Now, I'm in as Maine as Maine can get. I'm seeing like whales breaching on the water (laughs) in front of me. And I say, well, what's— what?" Is there a because it once it once was one of the major shipping capitals of the world? It's real. It's a natural, incredibly deep harbor. And I said, so are there a lot of Italians here? Like, what's what's with the cannoli? She's like, nope. <laughs> I was like, just so there's no just just cannoli happen just, just just have them. She's like, yeah. And there was no—she just wasn't going to give me anything, and I kind of liked it. That That's very main, too, I yeah, to just, yeah, like, you know, was like, one syllable I guess, answers. And I wanted to fit in, because I didn't want to ask too many
1: questions. What do you—you don't want the cannoli? We <laughs> yeah. have it, you know? We
0: make cannoli. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Goodbye. That's just it. Yeah. Please pay. It's just cannoli. Leave. A and cannoli. Well, they make sense to me. I mean, they're both, yeah. like—I mean, a cannoli there's is— There's a shell. There's a shell. There's, like, a filling. I mean, these yeah. are yeah, kind of emotionally no, kind of comparable— works. Food stuff. We're not going to do whoopie pies. We're going to do cannoli. Sure. Is what? What's the traditional lobster roll accompaniment? Like for like? I,
2: I well, okay. So most most lobster shacks are not set up, are not big enough, and don't have the setup to make. Many of them do not have the setup to make fries. McLoon's does not. A lot of the good ones don't. Some of them do. I think it is a potato chip. Thing. It's a potato chip. Yeah. So they make. So they serve the potato chips. Um, Instead of the fries I love fries I love to have fries With my lobster roll But you can't always have that And that's okay Um, And then Generally If there's dessert It's going to be pie Or whoopie pies
0: Not cannoli Yeah Not cannoli But I love that they do that Mm And I love that I don't know why Well Amy We have reached The lightning round Which, since you're an upsell listener, and all of our listeners are, by dint of being here, upsell listeners, we don't need to explain again. But we will, anyway, for the lightning round. Dan plays jaunty music that you just heard, and we ask you questions. And you can say whatever comes into your mind. So for today's issue of the lightning round, are these issues? Iterations. Today's lightning round, the questions will be asked by me and Greg. Okay. All right. Amy, you ready? Old school. Yes. All right. All right. First lightning round question, you wrote a cookbook about cooking with apples. Yes. What are the two best types of apple?
2: Okay. The first one is—can I give three— Yes. Okay. The first one is the Roxbury Russet, which is the oldest American apple. It dates back to the 1600s, 16 about the 1630s, and it is in it has been grown continuously since then. And I'm just going to do this really fast because apples do not grow true from seed. They're heterozygous like people. Every apple seed is a genetic combination of the parents, the the, the pollen from the tree and the pollen from the bee. You cannot grow a Roxbury Russet apple from a seed. You have to graft it onto another tree. It's a clone. It's cloning. All apples are cloned. All right? apples are cloned. Yeah. So every Roxbury Russet apple is a cutting of 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 a tree that first grew in Massachusetts in 1630s.
0: That's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? That's really beautiful. You're literally is, eating uh, history. Yeah. Okay.
2: Then there's yeah. I- Makes me want yeah. an apple. Yeah, so, and, and the good news is more and more orchards are growing these heirlooms, which is fantastic. Um, and then Calville Blanc d'Hiver, which is a French apple, also from the f- Renaissance period, um, it, it looks knobbed like uh, quince. And it tastes like an explosion of vitamin C, and it's the traditional apple for tartetan. It holds up to every you can just like throw it in a brick oven pizza oven for an hour and it would still come out firm. It's but it, but 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 totally like you can bite into it, but it holds its shape. It's really, really good. um and great for anything like fatty and rich, like like tarte Tatin, anything buttery. Um and then Ashmead's kernel, which is a British apple from the seventeenth century, um again, Cutting of a cutting of a cutting, and it tastes like champagne with honey stirred into it. Wow! And these are so much more available. Go to the Hudson River Valley. Go to yeah, I was going to say California. Can I get go this, to the like, Apple like at my Farm shop right? in Philo. Not at your shop, right? But (laughs) any decent farmer's market is going to have a few of these apples. And then uh, my book's called The Apple Lover's Cookbook, and it gives the history of these apples. And they're so interesting. Look them up online. Um, There's a website called Orange Pippin that gives lots of great history on apples. And you are eating history. And that's what I love about apples. Apples are so cool. They are so cool. And Red Delicious Delicious apples are garbage. And they were once good. And what happened was they bred them uh, because... But this was a lightning round. I'm talking too much about it. No, apples. no, the lightning okay, round has never flavor. been okay. lightning. They've
1: no, it's <laughs> it's kind of a rolling. <laughs> okay. lightning.
2: Uh, they, no. they I'm like talking faster. Um, they bred the they bred the flavor out of the apple because the genes for flavor it used to be sort of a mottled white and red apple, and the genes for flavor were not on the same um, chromosome as the genes for perfectly consistently dark red skin. And so they bred that out. They bred out Aha. the flavor. But it really, it was so delicious that the Stark brothers market it as the delicious apple.
0: Amazing. Yeah, it's very sad. And tragic.
1: Yeah. It's
2: the
0: real tragedy of the it's Red
2: Delicious apple. Injustice. There's There's injustice. There's some Red Delicious ancestor, <laughs> like, shaking a
1: cane. Lightning round question number two. Um, what are the quintessential New England movies? Could be one or several. Okay.
2: I think... Moonrise Kingdom captures a certain New England emotional state or emotional orientation. Um, I and and as and I think there's the the camera's gaze on the New England landscape to me is a very loving, beautiful um, gaze that captures it at its best. Um, autumnal adolescence or something. Yeah. It's a really, I think it's a really loving movie. I love that movie.
0: I love Um, that answer. I wasn't expecting you to say that. And (laughs) that's perfect. Yeah. Um,
2: And then, you know, I do think, I mean, Goodwill Hunting does capture something real, but, if you want Boston, honestly, the, the best thing is that SNL ad for Dunkin' Donuts that um, Casey Affleck did. Oh, so that good. is get, everybody knows that yeah, I guy. To
0: every day. grab a croissant, have an extra lodge, three parlaments, take a big dump. That's kind of the routine. <laughs> everybody everybody who
2: lives ready. in Boston either knows that guy or has seen that guy at Dunkin' Donuts. So that's not a movie, but that it, the, he nailed it. That that was that was. Genius.
0: Okay, our next lightning round question is a lightning round classic. If you were driving down a beautiful open highway in a convertible with the roof flung back and the stereo blaring and you're singing along, what's playing? Any kind of Broadway song I can belt out. Um,
2: and it, it would either be like sad, moody, folky stuff, like acoustic, but no, it's going to be, it's, if I'm trying the hat and, the, and I'm like going fast and it chops down, it's going to be me trying to belt like a Broadway singer it, or really pathetically try to rap like a Hamilton actor.
0: What's your current original cast recording of choice? By the way, I'm very proud of myself for not saying soundtrack. I was recently corrected. Oh, yes, well, um, and I, I have to
2: do that with with um, Alexa. It's Alexa, play the original soundtrack cast recording of X Y Z. You have to say that, or else yeah. she won't know what you're talking about. So, so it's. Um, I went to see Wicked in Boston last weekend, and you know that was a big thing for me. It was a really that that really was a defining moment. I saw it three times uh, when it first opened in New York, and. Uh, So we have circled back to that in our household. So I think probably right now that is that is happening.
0: Define gravity is a good like car belter.
2: If you need to just feel like you're good, you are who you are is good as you are. And and everyone else can suck it. And you (laughs) and 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 you're going to you're going to move forward. You're going to leave it all behind.
1: If you're in that if you're in that place, that is the song to get you over the hump. It is. So, follow up lightning round question. Amy, have you ever been to a fish concert? Never, and never, and never. Never. This seems never. like a matter of not, policy. Not
2: anywhere on the list. Never. Personal policy. No, no, um, no members, no, it, no tributes, nothing, never, ever, ever, ever.
0: Okay. No
2: fish for Amy. I wonder. Uh, no fish. I, I, but but they're not in the they're not in the Jimmy Buffett category. For I would not say never exist. I just will never be there. Enjoy it. Yeah, Everybody I just it incorrectly
1: associate them as sort of a New England heroes or something. Oh
2: yeah. no, they're oh, no, totally a New oh, England a, band. Yeah, oh, you're, yeah. you're accurate. They they met at the University of Vermont. It, it's real, but I I will never ever ever go. <laughs> <laughs> how about James Taylor? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, how can you not? Like it's like when you hear his voice. Uh, whether, you know, anytime, I've seen him a few times in concert, it's like you get this oxytocin bath running down from your brain into your whole body. The first moment you hear him sing, it's like
0: his voice makes me want to punch him in the nuts. Oh, really? Yeah, I can't stand his voice. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, God, no. I loved oh. him when he I was activates. a kid. I like like when I was like a teen, like a young teen. I loved James Taylor. And now there's something about the smugness of his voice that I just want to like, see, I think of it as generosity because
2: he has to sing those songs over and over again with sincerity. And I think, I think he rises to this moment every time of like, of, of sincere and generous, um, of, uh, Presence when he sings it. Have you seen him live?
0: I have. I've I, seen him at Tinglewood and, and, and he and still wanted to punch him in the nuts. I just wanted to punch him in the <laughs> or the face or the butt. I mean, like, like lots of punching. I was just like,
2: <laughs> wow. oh shut up. Oh, see, Stop Oh, it. see.
0: Now I think because he's like did the
2: recovery thing. I think he's like got the humility. Oh
1: God, he, yeah, I, I started liking him once I learned about his weird, his yeah, dark, like he's been these suffered. He's suffered so much, I
0: think this is like the the truly awful restaurant names, where it's like the restaurants may in fact be quite wonderful. Right. Like he might be a great guy, and his music is. Terrific. Right. It's just his voice. You just fills don't like me his voice. with loathing. I don't know. It's, oh, wow. it's See, my it it's my, brain. my problem, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't listen to it a lot, but but if he shows
2: up on stage, I it does make me happy. <laughs>
0: all right. All right. Our next lightning round question is a fun one. Are you familiar with the game Fuck Mary Kill? Yes. Oh or, god. Yeah. All right. So so the rules of Fuck Mary are we're going to say three things and you have to Fuck one, marry one, and kill one. And you so not in keeping with my Yankee branding. Use it. We, we can use a different <laughs> word. Make love, marry, or kill. Make love, marry, or kill. Caress, <laughs> euthanize, gently <laughs> smile at, pass Press, away. issue for me. Pass well, away. Okay, okay. Make love, marry, yeah. or pass away. <laughs> <laughs> New England clam chowder. Oh, oh, good. It's food. It's not people. Okay. Rhode Island clam chowder. Oh, yeah, and James Taylor. Manhattan oh, clam this chowder. is so easy. <laughs> this is
2: so easy. This is so easy. Okay. Fuck Rhode Island clam chowder.
1: Yes. Uh, let's clarify. Wait, what is? Yeah. Wait, what is? And that? I don't
2: mean it in a pejorative I don't way. Know what I else. mean <laughs> caress, like slow, enjoy beautiful it, savor. Enjoy it. But Mary. Clam chowder, New England. New England. You don't even, you don't even modify. It. You're just like
0: the real one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's be real.
2: Mary, the the cre- the milk based chowder, because it's a keeper. It 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 it's it, hundred. It, the, the the recipe was hundreds of years in the evolution. And it's a, it's, it's a long-term relationship we have with chowder. Which actually, milk did not become an ingredient in chowder until the 19th century, when the dairy industry exploded in New England. What
0: was the creamifying agent?
2: It, no, the thickening agent was crackers or any some sort of bread or is crackers.
0: This explains the crackers. Mm.
2: Yes, so the crackers
0: crackers actually
2: the, the the, the most authentic ingredient. thing. Okay, the dairy that was like we've got all this dairy. What are we going to do with it? Let's put it in
0: chowder. And we're passing and away potatoes.
2: Potatoes were also the thickening agent.
0: And we're passing away Manhattan. We are clam killing food. Manhattan. Okay, not, I mean, look, I, it's if you like it, it's
2: great. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just there's no it, it's I, vegetable I it's soup just, with clams. It's chowder. just its own thing. Yeah. It's, I don't know if it's chowder. I think that, I think I would just say kill the name Manhattan clam chowder and just call it Manhattan clam soup or stew or it's it, Manhattan tomato yeah. soup. It's vegetable wow. soup with yeah. clams in
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. So Greg asked, asked earlier. on Wait, what, So what is yeah. what is
2: Rhode Island clear? It's the clear chowder. Oh, yeah. it's clear?
1: Like a shellfish stock. And it's good. A it's,
0: it's a
2: delicious shellfish stock. Huh. It's really good. It, it, um, there's a place, Abbott's Lobster in the Rough. Uh, it's actually in Connecticut, but they make a great one. There's lots of great ones. Uh, Amaral's Fish and Chips in Warren, Rhode Island makes a great one. Um, they're they're all over, and they're very, very good. I, I have no qualms with clear chowder, but I marry the creamy version.
0: All right. And our final Aaron question is in your experience filming weekends with Yankee, what's one thing you learned that you didn't know before? I learned that I am a wimp about
2: cold temperatures. We went out on the scalloping boat in late October. It was the beginning of the scalloping season. They were out, the fish, the actual fishermen, and they were all men, so I'm going to use that word. They were they were they were having the time of their lives. It was like a beautiful summer day out on the water, and I could barely articulate, I could barely articulate everything I needed to say because I was shivering so hard. It was so cold. and I'll never again complain about the price of base scallops, which are which are a lot of work to harvest. Um, and I learned that I re fell in love with New England, like I re... I re-appreciate it's like the some you know, you're your spouse and sometimes you have to step back and say, Oh my god, you're so amazing. I it's so you're so beautiful, you're so special. I feel that way about about New England. It is so beautiful. And we we, we had this we have this opportunity to 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 tell these stories in a visual way that you can't do in print. And um so I think I am I'm like a newlywed again with New England.
0: Oh. Well, on that very beautiful note. That's lovely. <laughs> Amy, yeah. thank you so much for joining us on thank the Upside. Thank you for having me. Um, if our listeners want to check you out, they can go to yankee.com. Uh, Newengland.com. New, com. New England.com. Uh, if they want to know about the show, they can go to weekendswithyankee.com. Or, and they can look for it on um, your local PBS affiliates. Yes. Where it will be airing. And a yes. second season is underway.
2: Yeah, second season's underway. We're super excited. We're going to go to all kinds of amazing places and have wonderful experiences. Um, All over. We're going to go to places we didn't go in the first season. And there's so many places to go, which is the exciting thing. When we sit down to plan, I'm like, oh, my God, there's so much more. There's so much more. So that's great. Is that going to come out next, like, spring? Uh, Yeah. So we'll be filming in several seasons. We're going to try to summer, fall, and winter. And then it'll air again in April. But it's going to be on PBS Create, which is the national lifestyle. PBS Create is, like, where they put all the cooking shows and all that. So that's going to start in in August, So it's on um, the majority of major markets in the country right now. But you can also find it on Create starting in August. And you can go to weekendswithyankee.com to find out where it's, when it broadcasts in your own region, wherever you live.
0: Cool. And Amy, if our listeners want to find you. Yes, I'm at Amy Traverso. I got all of it for Instagram, Twitter, everything. Not that other lady in Canada no.
2: or wherever she was. I'm so glad she's not. She's cool, herself, She's just generous with that. That's She'd so beautiful. fight me about
0: it. She, yeah. These people named Amy Traversa are just really cool. Yeah. All
3: right. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dieter Bone from The Verge, and I'm breaking into your podcast for just a minute to ask you a pretty simple question. Have you ever read or watched a tech review and thought, oh, this is just not for me? It's way too nerdy. And it's made by some super fan who just wants to talk about how many pixels there are on the screen, when really all you want to know is, is it any good, and how do you actually use the darn thing? Well, good news, we've just launched Verge Guidebook. It's the next generation of our tech reviews program. With Guidebook, we're going to tell you what to buy, what's not worth your money, and most importantly, how to actually use it. You can head it over to theverge.com slash reviews, and you're going to find our editor's picks, the very best gadgets in every category, from smartphones to laptops to crazy stuff like smart light bulbs, and a ton of how-to guides are going to walk you through all of it. That's theverge.com slash reviews. We've got incredibly good videos, some really engaging writing, and of course, those very useful guides.
0: The Eater Upsell is recorded at Vox Media Studios in Manhattan and Los Angeles. Your hosts are me, Helen Rosner, and Greg Morabito, that other guy whose voice you hear on every episode. Our executive producer is Maureen Gianone. Our associate producer and editor is Daniel Janine. Our editorial producer is Monica Burton. Our studio team is Miles Ewell, Alex Ulrich, Paige Bethman, and Stephanie Broderick. And our editor-in-chief and fearless leader is Amanda Clute. But of course, of all of these people, the one who makes all of this possible, without whom none of this could exist, without whom we would just wither and die, is you, Dear listener you. Thank you
1: for listening to what we do here, and thank you for being your beautiful self.